Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. So every week, if you're new to us, we say this declaration that's on the screen behind me. Let's say it together, all right? I will constantly guard my heart and align it with God's holy word for everything I do flows from it, from the word. So let's get ready and align our words, uh, our hearts with the word this morning. Um, I'm going to be coming to you from Exodus chapter 33. And I'll kind of give you some background on that in a little bit. But Exodus chapter 33, if you want to go there. All right. And as we dive into today a new series. All right. So we're going to dive into a new series. And by the way, I just want to let you know that anytime you see that little symbol, because somebody asked me, what's that little symbol on the slides? Anytime you see that little symbol of a camera on any of the slides, that's just there for you that if you want to take a quick picture of it and it will uh, just, you can take a lot in a picture that it'll take you a long time to write down. And you can post it somewhere or it might speak to your heart later in the week. So anyway, that's what that little guy is for. In this series that we're starting today, uh, hopefully over the next several weeks or however long this series lasts, it'll give you Uh, some time for your toes to heal Uh, because I know that like the series that we just came out of hills to die on that has been a series where a lot of people couldn't take that series I mean we probably lost some people to our church over that series because some people do not want to take a stand they want to come to their social club a.k.a. church. They want to have their drive-through service. Can I take your order, please? Yes, I'd like an order of hill songs with a side of Jesus culture. And uh, I don't know, maybe throw in a Bill Gaither. And... um, I just want a sermon light today. I'm not in the mood for anything heavy, Um, you know. Would you like any move of the Holy Spirit with that? No, I'm good. None of that today. Just really need to get in and get out. Um, Honestly, dude, that's what we've turned the church into. And it's sad in so many cases and I had a friend of mine one time tell me, he said, he said, Rife, our goal is to get people in and out in 55 minutes. And I'm like, dude, I can't even say hello in 55 minutes. I can't, I cannot, you know, like, I, I can't do that. And there, I get it. There are people that they're good with that. And that's, that might be a good starting place for you, but there ain't going to be no 55-minute sermons, or, or not sermon services in heaven. It's just not, you know. It's just going to be one big continual, uh, you know, just gathering. 
And, you know, I don't want you to think that we're just going to, you know, sit there forever and that's all we're going to do. I think God is way bigger and more creative than that. Uh, to limit him to our idea of what worship is. There's so, probably so many dimensions of worship we have no clue about, like, you know, that, that's waiting uh, for us on that side. But what happens is we've got to understand in this series that I'm calling Vertical, there is there's a dimension in relationship with God that that is vertical. And I guess, you know, if I'm going to describe this first I have to really describe what horizontal looks like horizontal is like from me to you like it's relationship between us and in a horizontal relationship it's it's about what I can give you and what you can give me when when we focus on this what happens is church becomes horizontal you know you're here today for what you can get out of the service This didn't just happen yesterday. I mean, I've grown up with this kind of thinking my entire life as a Christian. It's like, I come to church to receive. Anybody grow up in that mindset? I come to church to receive. Lord, we've come to church to receive from you today. Wonder who thought that up. Like, where did that come from? Because that is not biblical. Like, We come to this community to give. We've got people serving all over the place. We come and we bring offerings to the Lord, financial offerings, but we bring talent offerings and things. Like, we receive in our giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Because when you give, There is a receiving in the giving. There's this satisfaction that just comes when you give. And until you become a giver, you will never understand that because it doesn't make sense. Wait a minute now. Because I'd much rather receive. Anybody got any receivers here? Now y'all shamed and under condemnation. You're afraid? No. No, I love to receive. I love to receive gifts. But there is a... There is a a value in giving that if you've never given to someone less fortunate, you've never given to someone who's on stranded on the side of the road, and you're like, man, I know I got to get to that meeting, or I got to do this, or but I'm gonna turn around and I'm gonna help this lady out, or whatever. Like there is a joy that comes from, man, you just did the right thing, and. There is, and, and hopefully I'll be able to circle back around to it, but there is actually something spiritual in that that you'll see in, in, in the message a little bit later. There's something spiritual in helping somebody with their tire on the road because they will, they will give God credit for it later and they may not even know they're giving God credit. Man, God's just good. I had this flat tire and I don't know, some strange guy, you know, helped me with, in a... In a uh, Publix t-shirt or a, you know, and it's like, that's not a public shirt you guys got on. That's a Destiny Church shirt, you know. Publix is getting the credit for something you did. You see what I'm saying? It's like, I don't know, man. God, God's good. Just send them out of nowhere. The person is giving God credit, is giving God the glory for it. And so when it's me and you, it's that whole selfish kind of thing if we just leave it there. But there's also a vertical relationship. And that's between God and me. 
And what's happened is we've made our spiritual world very horizontal. Very horizontal. Well, I didn't like that message the preacher preached today. It just really got on my nerves. I didn't appreciate him praying for the president. I didn't appreciate that. I didn't vote for him. Well, I didn't either, but I'm still going to pray for him. Why? Because the Bible says to pray for our leaders who are over us. I didn't like his, I didn't like that preacher. He just seemed mad. <laughs> or I really liked him. He was funny. That's a funny guy. I like him. Listen, it doesn't matter if I'm funny, pathetic, pitiful, miss it. You know, just, it's not about me. Honestly, it's not about how good we are in musically or vocally. It's about just our heart posture. It's, that's what it's about. And God can, take, God can take the mediocre and make it marvelous. I remember one time, I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. Shay and I grew up singing. We ain't the best singers in the world, but we ain't the worst singers either. I know because some of my family members are the worst singers. And I remember in a service, they were getting up. And it was one of those, back in the day, you know, we had them singings. And uh, on Sunday night, people would come from other churches and our church and different ones. And everybody would get up. And we'd all get up to show each other how good we could sing and how much better we can sing better than them. At least that's what I thought it was as a teenager. And some of my family got up, and they were singing, and, and I'm like, geez, that's bad. Oh, wait, 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 let me, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Shay, myself, and uh, a couple of peop- kids that we sang with, we get up on stage, we, we got our, I got my pink coat on, my buddy's got his pink coat on, the girls have got their pink dresses on, we're all pinked out. We start, we're, we're matching, coordinating, you know. Got, the guy's got the same pattern paisley tie on, you know, back in the 80s before some of y'all was born. We get up there, man, and we could sing really well, could harmonize really well. We got up there and we sang this song and, whoo, that was awesome. I'm feeling good about myself, man. I'm just feeling good. And then we come down off the stage. Everybody's clapping. You know, that's awesome, man. Those kids are awesome. Go down there and sit in my family. You know, my family gets up there and they start singing and they start singing this song. And man, I'm like kind of off there. And ooh, they missed that note. And, ooh, you know, how much longer? And somewhere in the middle of that cacophony, God's anointing came on it and turned it into a symphony. And the Holy Spirit moved into that room and the crowd was engulfed in the Spirit of God. I mean, and I'm sitting there as a 17-year-old kid. And the Lord is teaching me a lesson about talent and anointing. Performance and glory. And in that moment, I said to the Lord, God, I will pursue your glory over performance for the rest of my life. 
I will pursue your presence over performance for the rest of my life. And God right there in that room just had this very humbling experience where he was just saying, he didn't shame me. He didn't ridicule me. He just simply said, this moves me. This moves me. Because their heart was for me and your heart was for you. And I learned later, because I was so young in the faith, I learned later that, oh, there were a lot of guys in Scripture like me where they would go out into the street and they would pray loud. And the Scripture says that because of their vain, repetitious, babbling nonsense that they call prayer, that everybody looks and goes, what an eloquent prayer they are, that they've received their reward. But it doesn't come from me. It comes from men. And you know, at the end of the day, I, it, I truly, uh, compliments on sermons to me do not matter to me. And there are some people that compliment me every week it, because that's your gift. And I'm like, don't stop. I'm not saying you have to stop. But I'm like, I don't need that for me because I'm pursuing the Lord, and I deliver what God's spoken to me in my time alone with Him. And so I don't need affirmation when it comes to that because my affirmation comes from God, from the Holy Spirit. And so as we talk about this, I really, you know, I, I want to clarify in this whole vertical thing that we pursue, uh, really from this point forward, it's not like a two, three, four, six, eight. You know, I start these series and I've just stopped putting dates on them. Like it's a six week series. I, it's cause like Hills to Die On was like three months. And, um, and so however long the Lord keeps us here, I just want to clarify this because like our mission for Destiny Church, and it's really for every person, like this is your mission in life. Your vision will look different. Some of you guys are going to be doctors, lawyers, mechanics, uh, air traffic control folks, teachers, whatever. That's your vision. But this is what this is the parameters in which you do your mission. If I'm an architect, that's my vision for my life or part of it. That's what my life looks like. But I'm going to be an architect who loves God and loves people. When you love God, so, so that architect becomes a person who loves to go on missions trips and helps people build schools, builds orphanages. He, architects are typically wealthy people because, well, they have great salary jobs. They love to give. They love to serve God with the wealth that they produce from their hands. And so that's what it means to take the vision for your life and operate in this mission. And there's an order for this. It's, it's not love people and love God. It's not horizontal first and then vertical. It's always vertical first and then horizontal. I didn't make that up. It comes straight from Scripture. Luke 10, 27 says this, that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And, so there's an add-on, and love your neighbor as yourself. He put it in that order. Holy Spirit, as he's inspiring people to write the Bible, he did not inspire them incorrectly and go, oh, dog, I totally meant to tell Luke it was the other way around. No, he knew what he was doing when he inspired him. 
And so there's an order. It's vertical first, horizontal second. And here's uh, uh, another important verse. Matthew 6.33. This is a paraphrase, but it says, Seek first the right order. Seek first the kingdom of God and his right ways of living. Then everything else that you need will flow out of that. You put God first, all the horizontal comes I'm telling you, don't seek a guy uh, to get married to. Don't seek a guy to get married to and get the house and all of that. And all of that's uh, horizontal. Seek God first. Put God first in your life. And what's important to that. And then God will bring the right guy to you. You ain't got to go to the bar. You ain't got to get online. You ain't got to do all those things. God will network things and bring them to you. I promise you it will happen. Why? Because God is not a man that he would lie, and this is what his word says. So he's basically saying there is an order when it comes to our relationships in the world. And I cannot tell you how many godly people, godly men and women, that they will sacrifice their horizontal relationships because they want it so badly, and they'll marry somebody who's not a Christian. I can't control what my kids do. One of my children is already married to a godly young man. And they're both Christians. I've got one that's still not married yet. But I've always told my children from the time they were little. I don't care what color they are. I do not care if they're rich or poor. I do not care what country they come from. I don't care if they're educated or not. If they have a seminary degree, a college degree, doctorate, none of that matters in the long scheme of things. The very first thing that you always ask yourself, is this person a person compatible with my faith? My faith. Are we evenly, you know, yoked together that's the very first, because if that gets out of, out of alignment, I'm telling you, that's going to pull your, your vertical relationship. Well, I just believe that I can witness to him, and I'm just going to... Do not missionary marry. Do not missionary date. Don't, don't do that. I cannot tell you how many people that I have sat, and they've told me that I believe I'm going to be able to win my husband, who is of another faith. And I'm like, you know, I hope so. Today, those couples are divorced. They could not make it work. I'm sure there are people out there that are figuring it out somehow and making it work. It's just not God's plan. And so vertical, this vertical lifestyle is so important to us. And we've gotten away from that. Our country, the United States of America, is the poster child for horizontal relationships. It's all about me, my. Isn't there a country song out there somewhere? Talk about me, talk about my, talk about something, something, something. I don't know it. I've just heard it somewhere. But it, but it truly is. We are the poster child for entitlement. We are the poster child for horizontal relationships. We need to get back to being the poster child for vertical relationship with God. So, I want you to focus on this one thing for me. So, when we emphasize horizontal over vertical, we minimize the glory of God in our lives. That's the one point I want to drive home. When we, when we emphasize the horizontal, 
relationships over the vertical lifestyle, we minimize. So one is emphasizing, and while we're doing that, it's minimizing the glory of God in our lives. And this whole message really is about the glory of God. What is the glory of God? Like, Pastor Rife, why should I care about this? Why should I care if the glory of God is minimized in our life? Why should I care if the glory of God is minimized in our church gatherings? Why should I care if the glory of God is, is minimized in my marriage, my child uh, rearing, and any, you know, you fill in the blank? Because he wants his, listen, if, if the whole earth is filled with his glory, that's what the scripture says. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. If he wants the whole earth filled with his glory, he wants your whole world to be filled with his glory. Your child rearing, your sex life. Yes, I said it, religious people, and I know that makes you go crazy. But there's a way to glorify God with your body sexually and in your marriage sexually. He wants you to be, he wants to be glorified in your finances. He wants to be glorified in all these different uh, ways in your life. He said, honor him, love him, worship him with your whole what? Anybody know? There's four areas. Heart, mind. Body, is that not what I just said, sexually? Body, physically, taking care of yourself, soul, all of those areas. He wants the glory of the Lord to be in all of those different areas of our life. And we'll segment things. We'll give God some time on Sundays or sometime during the week or whatever. Or we'll give him a certain area of our life, but we won't give him this area. You know, God wants it all. He's in it all. And even if you exclude him, he's there. <laughs> he's, he's, he's like somebody annoying over in the corner. <laughs> like you're not, you're not inviting him in, but he's sitting over in the corner. <laughs> Why not not let it be awkward? Why not invite him in and go, God, I know you're here anyway, so let's not let it be awkward. He's not over in the corner watching you, trying to condemn you. He's over there really actually kind of coaching us for it to be the absolute best that our life can possibly be. So I want you to think about this. The word kabod. and I'm pronouncing that in South Alabama language, it's really pronounced Kavod. But you'll hear people say the kabod. It's Hebrew for glory. And this is what it means. It means the presence, the power, and the goodness of God. The fullness, the essence of everything that God is. And glory, kavod or kabod, literally means the full weight or significance of the Almighty's value. Um, let me get a couple of guys. Who doesn't have any back issues? Brian, you good? You good? Can, uh, <laughs> I need a strong buck in here. All right? 
No, no volunteers? Come on, man. I don't even know your name, but come up here because I need somebody. He looks strong. All right, and then let me get Zach. You'll be the other person, okay? I just want to give you guys uh, an illustration of, like, the glory, the kavod of God. All right? It truly means, hey, man, my name's Rife. Josh, thanks, man. First day that I think you've ever been here, but anyway, thank you so much. Uh, there's not a whole lot of people that can pull off that haircut. You know, he's got that nice shaped head. You know, I'd, I'd be looking like Frankenstein or something. But so we got these two young guys up here. I just want to illustrate the weightiness, the fullness of God's glory. Because so many times we can't, we can't fully understand, like, what are you... What is the glory of God? What are we talking about? What does that feel like? And so it's like it's something that's transcendent. You can't, there's not a meter that we can measure it. You know, there's a decibel meter that we can measure how loud sound waves are in the room. There's a weight, there's a scale that we can get on and weigh ourselves. But there's no measurement of God's glory that we can fully get into. So, you know, I'm like, you know, if we had to illustrate it, uh, at, you know, okay, so like here, this, is, this has got weight because kavod means weight, physical weight. It's a weight. They, they would try to just find words that would illustrate. So it's like it's just heavy in a good way. You, <laughs> I think of times when my dad, y'all come in. I don't know if y'all are in the camera for people to uh, see y'all at home, but there we are. Um, my dad he would, uh, now he had this measurement of the value of certain things. And I would watch him, and he'd go in the store, and he'd be like, oh yeah, this one's got some weight to it. We'll take that one. I'm serious. If it was heavier, for whatever reason, it's more sturdy, valuable, or whatever. I mean, when, he, when we were getting cars, Shay's dad was like this. He buys her some old, you know, junker car. Why? Because it's weighty. It's sturdy. It's made of steel. Looks like crap, but it's made of steel. It's going to protect my daughter. And it did. So you've, you've got this. You've got the weight, the weight of something. All right? Okay, so there's that. But that is not the kavod of God. This is the kavod of God. Like, right here. Okay? <laughs> All right, here. It's heavy, bro. So, so like, the difference, but bring it right here. Put them together. Like, the weight of them. All right? So, just for the, um, you know, I don't know, for the remainder of the message, can you guys just hold those? And uh, Because this one, dude, is truly... And uh, tell me your name again. Josh. Josh. And jo- one of the things that is beautiful about what he's doing that I just sense the Lord on it is like, man, he, he, he's not holding the weight. He's carrying it now. Ooh, that's good. Because there is a difference between like, I'll hold it. Do I have to hold it much longer? And there, but there is a difference between, wait, now, 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 Josh, put it back out like this, all right? So there's that, and I don't know how long you can stand and hold it. It looks like, you know, man, you, ooh, 
they're, they're, it's firm now. I'm just saying, you know. But look, he could take it and put it back here. And he can sustain the glory so much easier and longer when he carries it instead of when he holds it. So y'all just put those right there. And uh, thank y'all so much. But there is something powerful in this. There is truly something powerful in this. And you cannot explain the glory of God. You just, you, it's, I mean, we try, but it is hard to explain because it's transcendent and you feel the glory of God. You ever been in a place, and today was kind of one of those, and there are times where you'll come into a place and you're like, I don't know, it's just something in the room. It's just something in the room. You can feel it. Or you talk to a person and you just feel it. And it's the glory of God. It's the kavod of God. It's the weightiness of God's glory. And so I want you to turn to Exodus 33 with me. And I'm just going to read a few verses of scripture out of this. And as I'm reading it to you, I want to just give you a little bit of history. What's happened is Moses, he's leading the Israelites out of slavery. God told him, go get them, bring them out of Egyptian slavery. Now, remember all the things that happened? All of the plagues he saw. Remember, they threw the staff down. Like, if you don't know these stories and you're new to the faith, you won't know all of these. But they threw the staff down. So did the magicians. Moses ate the uh, magicians. All right, pretty impressive. God gets his attention to begin with by speaking to him out of a bush that did not consume itself. It burned and it did not deteriorate. Pretty impressive. They come out of Egypt at the Red Sea. Moses, man, stretches the rod out and it parts. I don't know about you, but pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. And all of these things, he goes up to the top of the Mount Sinai while the Israelites are down here. I'm telling you what, if I was God, they would be dead. God wanted to, you know, do some stuff. But because they were so like, what is your problem? You have seen God do all of these amazing things. And yet you still go back. You don't believe. You disobey. You melt down stuff, fashion idols out of it. You do all of these crazy things, and Moses is up there, man. He's talking to God face to face, man. It's like crazy. He comes down. Remember, he comes down, and the glory of God's on his face. And they're like, can you cover that up? Like, I just, you know, it's kind of distracting and bright and a little bit scary. What did Moses do? He fashioned a cover and put over his face. And I'm telling you what, guys, what happened... <clears throat> Is these people, God is fed up with them. And he's pretty much saying, I'm done. I'm done. I love y'all, but I am fed up. And here's, <clears throat> just paraphrasing this a little bit for time's sake. 
So what happens is God tells Moses, all right, you got him out. And I'm going to, out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to send an angel with y'all. And you can go on into the promised land, but I'm not going with y'all. Mm-mm, that ain't good. No, Moses is not happy with that. And he says, God, if you don't go with us, do not let us move from this moment and this place in time. Because we know you're with us right now. But for the love of you, don't send us somewhere that you're not with us. And he begins to remind the Lord, as if God forgot. He begins to remind the Lord that... God, now you know you love these people. God, you, you, you've, you've spent all these resources and you've sent me and you've done all these amazing things to, to get them out. Father, you know you love them. You have to give them another chance. And he moves the heart of God and God changes his mind. And God says, I will go with you. And so I want to pick up, <clears throat> let's see, uh, verse 12 in, in chapter 33. And it says, one day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you're going to send with me. You've told me, God. He said, God, when you and I are meeting and you speak to me directly, he said, you have told me, Moses, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. And then he said, if it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember, God, this nation is your very own people. And the Lord replied, I will go personally with you, Moses, and I will give you rest and everything is going to be fine. Moses moved the heart of God. God changes and he says, all right, man, you, you, you won me over. I'm going to go with you. Everything is going to be fine. And it's going to be a restful time. And then look at what Moses does. <clears throat> In verse 13, uh, 15, it's almost like Moses is like, for real? Because he says, then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. It's almost like he doesn't believe God. Like, this is too good to be true. I don't, like, that was easier than I thought it was. Mm. Guys, I'm sorry. There's just a message right there. Listen, it's easier than you think it is to change the heart of God in a matter. We've been taught religiously that God's got his mind made up. He's sending people to hell left and right. And he's, he don't give a flying flip about anything. No, God cares about you. He cares about the desires of your heart. He cares about your wants, your needs. He cares about, you know, all, all of these things. And I'm telling you what, Moses changed the mind of God. So God says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to, I'm going to be with you. And look at what he says here. He says, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me and your people if you don't go with us? And this is important. I'm still in verse 15. He says, for your presence among us sets your people apart from me and uh, sets your people and me apart from all other peoples on the earth. Like God, without you, we're just pagans. Without you, we're just average. Without you, we're just this and that and the other. But God, your presence with us is what sets us apart. 
That's why in this house we make room for Holy Spirit. Because without Holy Spirit here, we're just a normal, average, sometimes less than average group of people. You know why I can do what I do week after week without sinking into a black abyss of pity? Because I know God's glory on my life. Because I'm not the best preacher in Baldwin County, not by far. I'm not the most eloquent, shiny. I'm not the most charismatic. I don't have the biggest church. I don't have this, that, the other, yada, yada, yada. None of that matters because when we meet and his glory is here, that's all I really need is his glory because this, everything will flow out of this into this. And so he says, God, you're the secret sauce. You're the foo sauce. What's Chick-fil-A's? Do they have a name for theirs? It doesn't sound as cool as the foo sauce, I'm just saying. Get it? to Step it up, Chick-fil-A. But you're the secret sauce. God, you're our secret sauce. You're, you're the thing that sets us apart, makes us different. His glory is what makes us different as a church, as a people of God. We can never diminish the glory of God. And I cannot tell you, and this is not to cast stones at other people, but I cannot tell you at friends of mine that have said, we're not going to do these things at our church because they weird people out. I'm pretty sure that when Moses came off of that mountain and his face was glowing like Chernobyl, it weirded people out. And Moses, Moses for a while, he covered that up. He covered it up. And we're not going to cover the glory. We're not going to dumb it down and we're not going to, you know, and it's like, because I'm just telling you, like if there are, I've met several new people here today and, uh, you know, if for the people that you would end up dumbing down the glory, they're not coming back anyway. Because you were weird when they walked in the door, you know, because when you carry the glory, you don't just carry it up here. You're carrying it out there. When you touch them, they feel the glory. You know, there's just... And so, when we emphasize the horizontal, the, well, we don't want to weird people out. Well, God is weird. Because He's not normal. He's above normal. He's super normal, i.e. supernatural. So... When we emphasize the normal over the supernormal, what happens is everything becomes normal. And our songs, they just become normal. Our worship, normal. Our preaching, normal. 
He says, God, please, go with me. Go with us. And verse 17 says that the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked for, for I look favorably on you. And then Moses responded to him, then show me your glorious presence. Is this dude greedy or what? You had a burning bush experience. Nine plagues. A sea opened up and swallowed Pharaoh's army. You had a staff that became a snake. It ate up the other snake. How much glory do you need? All of those were things called the Shekinah glory, meaning it was a physical in a physical format. I don't know if you've ever seen Shekinah glory before. But what will happen is God doesn't let Shekinah stay for long. Man, I want to preach longer, and I know that y'all don't want me to. <laughs> Shay and I had a friend in school, in, uh, well, we taught in school, and she would bring me these uh, crystals, gems or whatever, and it'd be like, man, after our meeting with the prophet or whatever, there'd be these gems everywhere. And, um, and I'm like, I don't want to get off on that, okay? Because I have some feelings on that, and I, I, don't, I don't know that they're important. And then gold dust and, you know, just different things and glory clouds and all of that. But what happens is something began to bother me about this because everything was always about this, these manifestations that were always happening. And I never heard the goodness of God. It was all those supernatural things. And I would get irritated with her. And I would say things to her and my wife would be like punching me. And I'm like, I just, it just, it, at some point, it becomes idolatrous. When you, when you, when you uh, give glory to an icon over the creator. I mean, one time the Lord spoke to us in our house about growth and seeds and an oak tree. And he gave a prophetic word about an oak tree and everything. And one night we're in a prayer meeting. I kid you not. I am, was it me, Shay, or you that found it in their shoes? yours. So Shay, uh, in the bottom of her shoe, there was this hollowed out place uh, where she felt something and she's like, she looked down and she pulled something out and it's an acorn in our sanctuary. And there are no oak trees around. To my knowledge, I don't know that we had oak trees at our house or whatever. It doesn't really matter how it got there. She could have picked it up walking across Walmart parking lot. But in that moment, the Lord spoke to us about an oak tree and give us all these prophetic words. And she just happens to go, what am I standing on? And it's the seed of an oak tree. What is that? That is a wonder and a sign. A confirmation. But guess what? We don't have that acorn. We didn't dip it in gold and 
It's not, we didn't make it out to a statue and we don't have it back in the office. I don't even know where it's at. We didn't make it a graven image that we go, oh, we, thank you, acorn, you know. It was a sign and a wonder, and those things are passing, and they pass for a purpose. And it's because if they weren't passing, we would make idols out of them. The move that we had today, it was just for today, and there will be another one tomorrow or next week or whatever. And it'll be different than the one that we had today because God will have something fresh for that moment. But what happens... And we do this a lot in revival culture. And I'm not anti-revival culture, but in revival culture, we'll keep wanting to go back to the dove's dung. There's a whole sermon there. But in the Old Testament, they talked about the dove's dung. What, what's, if you see some bird poop, what's that a symbol of? A bird has been there. It's not there anymore. It was there. But we'll keep wanting to go back to the dove's dung. And the prophet said, you would rather eat dove's dung. They actually ate bird poop in the Old Testament because they, what, there was such a famine in the land. And they would go back and they would, they would want to just, they had got to such a place of desperation, they just lived in the past. God is always moving forward. He's not going backwards. He lives in the past, but we don't. So he's always going where we're going. We're not backing up. We're always going forward. And so he says, God, I want you to show me your glorious presence. And the Lord replied, listen to this. And if you want to underline it, he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and I will call out my name Yahweh to you like I'll make my goodness what is the he's he asked him for glory and he got goodness why because God's glory is his goodness I want to wrap it up for you and he says Moses I want you to go over there and I want you to hide in the middle of in, in that place in the rocks and I want you to get between those because I'm about to pass by. And he says, and you can read it for yourself. He says, I'm going to pass by. You won't see my face because no man can look directly into the face of God in, in the current state that we're in. We will one day, but not, not in this state because you will die. Pastor, I just don't believe that. Hey, I'm just telling you, Brent, you're a biology teacher. You're a scientist. Are there not things in nature that if we were to look at them, that it would blind us? Is there not a heat so hot? Brian, you're a fireman. Is there not a heat so hot that, boom, instantly it kills you? If we can believe in that kind of biology, why can't we believe in the supernatural word when it just says, you can't look at me in your current state or to kill you? But he says, Moses, if you'll go over there, I'm going to cover you with the in the cleft of the rock and he says as I cover you I'm going to let you see my glory the hind parts I'm going to let you see basically the part what you can handle 
God will give, God will show you what you can handle. God, come on, I want more. Do you? God, I want more of you. Do you? Could you handle it? I'm not saying you can't, but I'm like, before you begin to pray for things, you really need to be understanding what you're asking for. Even Moses, he was asking for something that he wasn't ready for. And God said, but I will let you see what you're capable of handling. And this is key to me. may not be to you, but it is to me. In verse 21, the Lord continued and he said, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by. I'm just going to leave it there. As my glorious presence passes by. Not as my glorious presence comes and stays. Not as this moment. Moses, we're going to stay in this moment. We're not ever going to move from this moment. No, he said, I'm going to pass by. Why? Because there's other moves to come. There's glory to glory to glory. Maybe Erica, she's going to be preaching next week. Um, But, you know, maybe she'll share some of those things. But moving from glory to glory, let me share with you these ways as we're fixing to head out. I'm not going to dive deep into these. I'm just going to state them for you. Like if you want to experience the glory of God in your life, there's five ways that you can do it. There's more ways, but I'm just giving you these. Number one, make room for him in your life. Just make room for God. Like, there's no greater honor that you would give somebody than you to invite them to your house. Why? Usually when I invite people to my house, I want to know, like, what do you like to drink? What kind of foods do y'all like? Y'all like cheesecake or blueberry cobbler? What do y'all like? Why? Because I just want to honor you. You're just in my house. And I don't know about you, but when I go to people's houses and they make me feel that way, I'm like, it just makes me feel good, feel loved. Make room for God in your life. It's one of the greatest ways that you can show him honor by making room for him in your life. The second thing is bear fruit. Like it's not okay for you to grow or not grow. Listen to me. Why? Because there are people in this room that you're not growing spiritually. Pastor Rife, that hurt my feelings. Sorry. You're not growing spiritually. Because you're not growing spiritually, you're not bearing fruit. When we bear fruit, these two verses, Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine so that others can see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do good things for people. And I promise you, they'll give credit to God. I'm just telling you, man, the Lord's good or God's good. They probably don't even go to church or whatever, but they're giving praise to God. Or they might, and they realize where it's coming from. When we do that, it shows the glory of God. John 5, uh, 15, 8 says this. When you produce much fruit, you are my disciples, and this brings great glory to the Father. Don't you love it if you have kids? Don't you love it when things that you've taught, modeled them, shown them, driven into them as you've raised them up, when they begin to bear fruit of it? This is what my daddy does. 
I'm telling you what, if you hadn't got kids and you, and you taught your daughter or son to do something and you never even, they never even said anything, but you're just looking at them across the room and they're doing what you taught them to do or whatever, brings you such honor and glory. That's how it, how it works with the Father. Number three, share the gospel. Pastor Raph, I can't be preaching. I can't be telling anybody about Jesus. I'm just, I'm just an introvert. I'm just shy. No, you have a misunderstanding of what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news. So you're, when you share the gospel, there's many ways you can share the gospel. But sharing the gospel is not necessarily, hello, brother, I want you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and I want to give you a homiletic discourse on, you know, the good news. What's God done good in your life? Man, God help us to pay off our house. God, man, the Lord healed my friend who was looking at terminal cancer, just healed her. You know, you shared good news. It's good news. And who do you give credit for? God. God. God did it. I don't know. God just sent somebody by, man. Give glory to God by sharing the good news. Just whatever is happening in your life, give God credit for it. Number four, learn to worship. Like this morning, in this, in this time, I'm not dumb, and I'm not trying to be negative. But I know there are people that the atmosphere of worship this morning is foreign to you. You don't know about that. You don't know how to get into that flow. It's strange to you. It's weird. I'm just not going to do what they're doing. Can they hurry up and get this part of the service over? How do I know there are people in the room? Because every one of us is growing and maturing at different levels. And I was that person. Can they get this over with? I just want to get to that part. But when you learn to worship and learn what really moves the heart of God, it brings him glory and you get caught up in it. And then this is the last thing, and I'm going to let you go. Own your mistakes. Don't be one of those people that I used to be. When something happens, you're, you're like, yeah, man, um, that, uh, yeah, I uh, did that because, you know, and it was Brian, you know, Brian, he didn't. And uh, so, Josh, you know, I, I ain't met the guy. You know, I don't know what kind of guy, but, you know, it, no, dude, just stop. You did it. I did it. Take our responsibility. And what, how, Pastor Rafe, how does that bring God glory? Because when we will not take responsibility, there is a deceptiveness about us. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve do when they disobeyed the Lord? They hid when the Lord came and, and they were in the glory of God like no other person. And then all, all of a sudden, you know, he's like, Adam, you're in charge. What happened? He's like, I'm just telling you, the woman you gave me, like, uh, and he's like, so Eve, what about you? He's like, that thing you made, came. Nobody's taking any responsibility, shirking it, shirking it. And what that does, it just, it's a deception. It's a deception. And God will not live. His glory will not be sustained. It will not stay in an atmosphere of deception. So take responsibility for you. 
Confess your sin to the Lord. Confess your sin to one another. And many people look at sin as like some heinous thing. This past week, I confessed to our worship team about something that I, it was a mistake. I owned it. It was something I did and it was confusing. And everybody, I guess because I'm the leader, even my wife didn't correct me or whatever. And finally, when we left church, she, she said, well, I'm a little bit confused because of this. And I'm like, why didn't you say something there? Because I was under this impression and I was obviously wrong. And so I said, I'll fix that. I'm going to text the whole team, let them know. And she's like, that's not necessary. And I said, it's very necessary. Because I need to own my mistake because I need to send the message to the team. This is not, this is not okay. And I'm going to model how to own mistakes.